All right, everybody. It is Thursday, December 8th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Um, Jill, there's not one but two effectively coup plots around the world <laughs> for bringing people today. Yeah, this is a, a kind of a wild news day. Uh, just for a little background, Moshe and I in the afternoons usually text each other back and forth to figure out what stories we're going to cover in the podcast. And there were so many that could have been our lead story today. Yeah, so we're going to try to get to all of it. Uh, and it, it's not common, Jill, that we're texting each other and being like, which coup plot do you think people will want to hear about more? And so uh, you guys are lucky. You're going to hear about both of them in this podcast. All right. Uh, so let's get to some of the headlines. The Supreme Court hears a controversial case that could completely change how we conduct elections. We'll tell you the justices' reaction. In Germany, officials say they prevented a coup, which would have installed a leader named Heinrich the Thirteenth. Mosh, of course, has been digging into who this guy is. The first second gentleman in U.S. history speaking out against anti-Semitism. And Time Magazine says its person of the year was the most clear-cut winner in the history of the recognition. Uh, so we'll tell you all about it. All right, let's start with a follow-up to that big Supreme Court case that we told you about earlier in the week. The court heard arguments yesterday in Moore v. Harper. It is one of this term's highest profile and most contentious cases, and it has the potential to fundamentally reshape elections for Congress and the presidency. It looks like even this very conservative Supreme Court, not ready to back a Republican push that would give in state legislatures complete control to change electors, conduct elections, and redraw the congressional maps. So Republicans in North Carolina, if you remember, had argued that there should be no oversight or limits from state courts or governors. And that is called the independent state legislature theory a version of which was promoted by allies of former President Trump during their attempts to overturn the 2020 election. That, though, it seemed to be a bridge too far for most of the justices, even on this conservative court that has almost always taken the Republican side in disputes over voting rights. Moshe, I know you've been doing Instagram lives on this all week, and we have a special podcast also coming out about this. So what can you tell us? So it's interesting, Jill, the, the way this went down in the uh, court's arguments, you can essentially split the nine members of the Supreme Court into three, three, and three. So you have the three most conservative justices. They appear to be uh, prepared to embrace this expansive theory. Then you have the three liberals who were adamant that it should be rejected. And then interestingly, you had three conservatives sort of in the middle trying to find a compromise here. So this is Roberts, Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett, who are looking for a compromise here. Essentially, that would allow state Supreme Courts to have the last word on laws, uh, that there still are some checks and balances, but that these state courts would be subject to oversight from federal courts, from the national courts. The argument really came down to what, what were the architects of the Constitution back 240 years ago actually thinking about when it came to checks and balances? Uh, and it appears that this theory that they were trying to make, the Republicans of North Carolina are trying to make, that the founders actually said, no, 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 we should actually have the state legislatures completely have completely free reign over the law is being rejected here, that there should be some court oversight. Uh, the big fear here, Jill, was that if the North Carolina lawmakers prevailed and the full court bought into this theory, that essentially would allow near total power for state legislatures to gerrymander uh, to the umpteenth power, set rules for elections, basically have no oversight function. Uh, the concern specifically among liberals is that the majority of states right now are controlled by Republicans. 
So what would this mean for 2024? The bottom line here is what we took away from these arguments, and of course, we'll have to wait until next year for a decision, but there's an indication here that there will be some middle ground formed. Obviously, we're not privy to the conversations that will happen behind the scenes these next few months, but uh, it'll, it, it was an interesting breakdown here, and it appears we will see some sort of combination where the Republicans in North Carolina could win, but not uh, have fully embraced this theory that they should have full control with no checks. Interestingly, Mosh, even just from a political level, isn't this at all short-sighted by Republicans in North Carolina? Because obviously this is good for your party, I guess, when you're the one in power. But if it was reversed, um, and you can imagine in states where Democrats control everything, um, then this would give them this unchecked power as well. Totally. I guess the concern, though, is, Jill, that basically whoever has the majority right now, if this theory was embraced, could effectively give themselves a permanent majority. So however the country is split right now, double down on that and know that it'll never flip again. So that generally is a concern because, of course, you know, to your argument, Democrats in New York state or California could do the same thing under this theory. The concern is when you look at the national outlook that you could really wreak some havoc and basically whatever we have in the year 2022, if this theory, and it does not appear it'll go through, was fully embraced by the Supreme Court, effectively we permanently draw lines uh, never to see things change. All right, Moshe, let's head overseas and talk about those two wild stories that we mentioned earlier in the podcast. First, in Germany, where 25 people have been arrested for allegedly planning to overthrow the government. Among those arrested, a German prince a former far-right member of parliament, an active soldier, and former members of the police and elite special forces. This story kind of reads like the January 6th insurrection plus the Michigan governor kidnapping attempt combined. They also have ties to QAnon. Now, according to the New York Times, the plan was to storm the German capital, arrest lawmakers, and execute the chancellor. A prince descended from German nobility would have taken over as the new head of state and a former far right member of parliament would have been put in charge of a national purge. This group allegedly planning to sabotage the electricity network and they even bought satellite phones so that they could communicate off grid. Prosecutors described the plot as possibly the most brazen in Germany's post-war history. So how close did they actually get to carrying this out? That's what the German prosecutors and intelligence officials are trying to figure out right now, Jill. It's not clear how capable this crew would have been at executing the attack, nor how close they were. According to some intelligence officials who spoke to the New York Times, the group had twice missed dates when they had aimed to trigger their attack, what they called Date X. Uh, But many of those arrested were heavily armed. You mentioned the sat phones, and the Germans were taking this seriously. In fact, the raid on Wednesday included 3,000 German police officers and special forces across the country raiding 150 homes to arrest all 25 suspected co-conspirators. So this group apparently started getting together last year. They don't think that the government that formed after World War II just, uh, just under 80 years ago is legitimate. And so then Where they have united. They been? Like, <laughs> <laughs> they, well, their their conspiracy theory is it's a deep state, and they don't like the fact. I mean, think about it, the way that the government. I don't want to get too deep into this, Jill, but the way the government formed in Germany after uh, the fall of Nazi Germany was by the Allied powers, right? The Soviets, the U.S., the British getting together. So they feel that the foundation of Germany post World War II is illegitimate. Was not founded by Germans, you know, totally executing their ideas. 
Now, one of the big people behind this idea, Jill, is my favorite prince and yours, Prince Heinrich XIII, who I will admit I had not heard of until this plot came out. (laughs) He apparently is a 71-year-old German man, again, Prince Heinrich XIII, who apparently has these controversial views that Germany is not legitimate uh, and that he should be in charge. And he is a, I guess they call him a minor aristocrat. Apparently, the German monarchy was abolished. What a burn. (laughs) <laughs> a minor aristocrat, not a major aristocrat. So the German monarchy was abolished in 1918, so more than 100 years ago. But they have these descendants, and apparently he comes from the House of Rus. And Heinrich the Thirteenth, uh, who apparently has broken all ties with the family, the the House of Rus, uh, to what whatever it is these days, uh, has these ideas. And so he's among the plotters, and they're going to install him as the new head. By the way, one of the other interesting details that came out, there's a Russian named Vitalia B, who was apparently a Russian national who's part of this plot. So what is Putin involved in here? I don't know, but that was interesting. Uh, but my favorite quote when it comes to Heinrich the 13th, Jill, is, is a quote from Heinrich the 14th, who apparently is speaking out about Heinrich the 13th and says, quote, I'm afraid he is a conspiracy theorist. He's a confused old man. Uh, and the rest of the House of Roos don't speak to Heinrich the Thirteenth. That's according to Heinrich the Fourteenth, by the way. The really interesting thing here, Jill, uh, moving beyond all that, is that this idea of a deep state, these QAnon conspiracy theories, are not limited to here in the U.S. With the reach of the internet, etc., you see Germany is now dealing with some of these same issues right now. Apparently, these organizers were organizing an alternate government to uh, take over. They had a leadership council. They had a military wing. So they had a whole plan ready to go here but you know to your question how capable were they unclear but they took this thing very seriously okay and then another crazy story from overseas peru's president was impeached and arrested after he tried to dissolve congress that country now is its first female president dina boyarte who is uh, the former vice president and she is now the country's sixth president in five years. So to backtrack early Wednesday, president Castillo announced plans to dissolve Congress, which was set to vote on his impeachment and then install an emergency government. His announcement prompted a bunch of cabinet members to resign and eventually led to his arrest. What do we know about this former president? Well, that he was making a bet here that he would have the support of enough people around him and the military to take over here, Jill, like in a coup. So he's this leftist leader. He was elected uh, last summer very narrowly, uh, but he has been facing a cascade of investigations about whether he's been using his position and previous roles to benefit himself, his family, uh, close allies, peddling influence to gain preferential treatment. Uh, and he's been denying all these allegations. In fact, he won't. He has not been cooperating with any investigations. He says that all the allegations against him are a witch hunt and that they come from groups that failed to accept his election victory. It was a real wild day down there. It began with the uh, then president, former president, now Castillo, announcing plans to dissolve the Congress, install an emergency government. He was trying to get it all done before the impeachment vote, but very quickly came concerned statements and condemnations and resignations from his cabinet, from top officials, from people he thought were allies, and then from other countries in the neighborhood in South America. And so then ultimately that then led the Congress to be like, not so fast, Castillo, we're going to impeach you. Get out. All right, we have a lot more news to get to in this podcast, but I want to thank our sponsor this week, Athletic Greens. Their AG1 all-in-one vitamin is a must as we try to get through this cold and flu season. 
I've been using the Athletic Greens AG1 powder for a couple months now, and it is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. So easy. Uh, for months, I was trying to get all my vitamins in, uh, some with breakfast, some with lunch. Uh, keeping track of them is challenging. Sometimes they can get a little pricey, but transitioning to the Athletic Greens AG1 powder has been a game changer. The experience is simple, affordable. I'm feeling that extra boost of energy, especially when I used to lag midday. The AG1 powder contains 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. In addition, AG1 has pre and probiotics to support your gut health. And here is the best news. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D, as well as five free travel packs. You can visit athleticgreens.com backslash monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, it's athleticgreens.com backslash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S. We have the link in bio to get this special deal to really start to take ownership of your health. Everyone wants to get more sleep, and there are a ton of different sleep hacks out there. Noise machines, meditation, earplugs, which I do but you can immediately transform your sleep with Bowl & Branch. We have Bowl & Branch sheets in our house. They're in white. They are so soft. In fact, we say all the time, but they really do get softer with every wash. And the sheets also come in a really pretty box, kind of wrapped up like a present just for you. They feel buttery and breathable to start. And again, as Moshe and I always say, they get softer with every wash. Best of all, it feels a little bit luxurious every time you slip into bed. These best-selling sheets are also made with the finest 100% organic cotton. They're completely free from toxins, soft yet super breathable. There's a 30-night worry-free guarantee so you can wash them, style them, and sleep in them for an entire month. And if you don't really love them, you could send them back right away. And again, they're made without toxins. There's no synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde, and other harsh chemicals. So sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bowl & Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS at bowlandbranch.com. That is Bowl & Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. That promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, for 15%, 1-5% off your order. From the Washington Post, second gentleman Doug Emhoff decries epidemic of hate at a roundtable event at the White House about rising anti-Semitism. Emhoff is the husband of Vice President Harris and is the first Jewish spouse of a vice president. The event's been in the works for some time, but it has taken on increased resonance in the wake of former President Donald Trump's recent dinner at Mar-a-Lago with a white supremacist and the rapper Ye, both of whom have uh, advocated anti-Semitic views, and I would argue are just huge anti-Semites. Uh, Emhoff said, let me be clear, words matter. People are no longer saying the quiet parts out loud. They are screaming them. Let's take a listen. I will not remain silent. And I'm proud to be Jewish. I'm proud to live openly as a Jew. And I'm not afraid. We cannot live in fear. We refuse to be afraid. On days like today, I think back to Ellis Island, and I think about my family members and all the other family members that fled persecution to live their dreams right here in the United States of America. And what would they think about this kid from Brooklyn sitting before you today in the White House as the first second gentleman of the United States? 
as the first Jewish spouse of a president or a vice president. Emhoff met with representatives of more than a dozen groups, including the ADL, the American Jewish Congress, and also Jewish on campus. Yeah, clearly they're taking the issue anti-Semitism now very seriously at the highest levels of the government. Uh, One of the other people who was there, Jill, was Deborah Lipstadt. She is the uh, National Special Envoy to Monitor and Combat Anti-Semitism and a very well-known Holocaust historian and anti-Semitism expert. Uh, This all comes after last week. President Biden made a point on Friday of tweeting, and I can't believe he has to tweet this in the year 2022, but the Holocaust happened. Hitler was a demonic figure, and instead of giving it a platform, our political leaders should be calling out and rejecting anti-Semitism wherever it hides. Silence is complicity. Obviously, the backdrop on that tweet was the uh, meeting down at Mar-a-Lago, which uh, since, by the way, we should note the people around Trump are trying to prevent from ever happening again and and have effectively acknowledged was a mistake. You played the bite there from Emhoff. Uh, He is from Brooklyn, uh, grew up in Jersey. He has made a point of trekking his lineage, his great-grandparents who escaped persecution uh, in Poland, uh, anti-Semitic persecution in the hopes that America would be a place where they wouldn't have to deal with with this sort of thing. One of the other things that came up uh, at this session, Jill, was that Biden has secured increased funding from Congress to tighten security around synagogues, other houses of worship, uh, and has signed legislation to counter anti-Asian hate crime. Uh, He also recently hosted a summit against hate-fueled violence. So they're really trying to take the issue of all types of hate very seriously. Mosh, when you were talking about um, President Biden's tweet and the fact that it's unbelievable that in the year 2022, he has to tweet something like the Holocaust happened. Um, it just made me think of of Dwight Eisenhower, who was basically in charge of the whole military operation uh, during World War II, when he went to one of the concentration camps for the first time. And he said, quote, I visited every nook and cranny of the camp because I felt it my duty to be in a position from then on to testify at firsthand about these things in case there ever grew up at home, the belief or assumption that the stories of Nazi brutality were just propaganda. Um, And there's so much video evidence. There are survivors who have been telling their stories. And a lot of them didn't tell their stories right away. But as so many of them, unfortunately, um, just got older and passed away, there was this big effort and still is to get their stories on record. You know, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable what is going on right now with Holocaust revisionism um, and just, again, this this denial of the Holocaust. Yeah, you know, the, one of Eisenhower's concerns, uh, and we talked a bit about this in the conversation we had earlier this year with Ken Burns, was that the numbers were so extreme, right? The, the, the murder of six million people uh, that he made a point when he came to the camps, bring cameras in now videotape all of this, photograph all of this, A, so people at home know what happened, but also anticipating that, you know, some at some point people might say, no, that those numbers are too crazy. Like, and he's like, no, we need evidence of this. And obviously the evidence was used in the Nuremberg trials afterwards, et cetera. But, you know, I guess humankind doesn't change. And already uh, just under 80 years ago, he knew what people were capable of, people were capable of denial, et cetera. And Eisenhower really had some foresight there. From CNBC, skyrocketing demand for ADHD medicine is straining the U.S. healthcare system. And we could thank social media, of course. Stories about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, a.k.a. ADHD, have been having a resurgence in the social media zeitgeist in the past several years. And it might be leading more people to seek out a diagnosis for the condition 
A quote from one doctor says, a lot of my patients would hold up their phone to the camera and be like, here's this video that I saw on TikTok, and this is why I have ADHD. The influx in people seeking out treatment all at once can cause a problem of supply and demand. Another doctor says there's now a six-month wait list to get into his practice. The bottleneck does not just apply to doctors' visits. The CDC announcing in October that there was a shortage of both the brand name and generic form of Adderall in the U.S. Yeah, Jill, we noted that back in October when the uh, officials first alerted to the Adderall shortage, the trouble people who really need it were having, I'm sure you're familiar with, as am I, uh, people who've used Adderall who didn't quite need it as a study drug, people who, you know, need to, people who use it at work, uh, people who use it as a party drug sometimes. But the numbers are really remarkable in terms of the diagnoses. Uh, diagnoses and prescriptions have been increasing across all age groups uh, since the 90s, but especially in the social media era of the last 10 years. The number of ADHD diagnoses in 2010 were five times what they were in 1999, 10 years previous. And then between 07 and 2016, the number in adults ADHD doubled. So we seem to be having a, a real issue here. And I, I wonder how the, the medical profession is going to be scrutinizing this moving forward. On the issue of social media from The Wall Street Journal, Indiana filed a pair of lawsuits against TikTok, alleging that the platform is deceiving consumers about its content and data security. The state says the platform should be prohibited from allowing children to access adult content, including about sex, profanity and drugs. The first of Indiana's lawsuits alleges that TikTok's algorithm is designed to addict young users and promotes harmful content that isn't appropriate for them. The suit cites studies and reports linking heavy use of TikTok to mental disorders among teens, including eating disorders and depression. Indiana's other lawsuit alleges the company is misleading consumers about access that the Chinese government could have to the app's U.S. users. The suit alleges China has the ability to use TikTok's data to spy on, blackmail, and coerce users to serve the country's national security and economic interests. Both lawsuits seek to change TikTok's practices as well as put some civil penalties uh, on for each alleged violation. So just in the last two, uh, two stories. So TikTok is convincing us all we have ADHD and we need Adderall. Uh, TikTok is leading to eating disorders and depression among the young, um, exposing them to things they shouldn't be exposed to. And then questions as to whether TikTok is providing our data to the Chinese government. There's, there's a lot here. And, you know, we try to cover the latest on this just because, you know, um, it's it's funny, Jill, actually, uh, they're talking about addicting kids like I'm addicted to TikTok. Like it, you know, it's algorithm is is remarkable. I think it's a great point, Motion. I think that the question, the real question is, is this too little too late? I mean, millions of people already have this app. They're already addicted to it. Uh, China already has all of this data. What is the U.S. government going to do short of literally just banning the app right. entirely that's going to really change anything. So that, yeah. And, and so you have that part. Uh, and then there's questions as to what's called section 230. Uh, you might've heard this. It's, it's talked a lot about when it comes to tech stuff and section 230 basically allows internet companies to have broad legal immunity under federal law for the content they publish on their platforms. In this case, the way that Indiana is approaching this is they're going to use state consumer protection laws and they think that will allow them to avoid the Section 230 legal immunity. So that's something the judges will take up. There's jurisdiction questions. This is a Chinese-owned company as to what happens. And I just think it's fascinating, Jill, the whole addiction aspect of this, because you can apply it to other social media. The fact that they're going after the addictive algorithm 
and especially when it comes to the young, um, how will a judge approach that? What are the jurisdiction issues? How does Section 230 play into this? It's a really, it's a really fascinating um, approach that Indiana is taking here. Speaking of addiction, uh, this from CNN, thousands of customers looking to purchase an item on Amazon early Wednesday encountered an error message on the e-commerce site's checkout page. A rare issue for a platform that's become even more of a central shopping hub for countless households during the pandemic. There were more than 9,000 user reports of issues with Amazon.com as of 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Wednesday according to an outage tracking site. Some customers attempting to check out on the site saw the following error message. Quote, an error occurred when we tried to process your request. Rest assured, we're working to resolve the problem as soon as possible. If you were trying to make a purchase, please check your account to confirm that the order was placed. And we apologize for the inconvenience. Two weeks before Christmas, you can't have Amazon going down. Luckily, it sounds like, Jill, that they were able to restore it within an hour or two. But... You can imagine there's a there's a bunch of people at Amazon headquarters being like, what happened? We can't we can't have this happen now. Well, I went on Twitter and I saw this hashtag. Um, I saw trending Amazon down and I was like, can't be what well, Amazon down. What? You know, the stock is like our shares of Amazon down or something. And then I realized, no, Amazon was actually just not working. Yeah. Well, and they haven't revealed what it was, but, you know, typically it's like, uh, you know, someone didn't press the right button or whatever. But you can imagine just the capacity that Amazon must have. And and I don't have the numbers before me to be able to just manage the constant demand, especially this time of year is incredible. Okay, Jill, this next speed read comes to us from the Hill newspaper. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, is under investigation. It's a House ethics investigation. This is according to a statement put out by the committee on Wednesday. The panel will announce some sort of course of action after a meeting in the next Congress sometime next year. The details right now have not been released into what they're looking at, but it did come to the House Ethics Committee from what's called the Office of Congressional Ethics, which is a nonpartisan group. They forwarded their inquiry into AOC uh, earlier this year. The committee says that the disclosure of the investigation, which came out yesterday, does not itself indicate that any violation has occurred or reflect any judgment. It just merely says they're looking into something. So we're going to have to wait uh, until uh, next year to learn more details here. Uh, But we should note, Jill, that she was hit with an ethics complaint uh, recently over her attendance at the Met Gala. Uh, So, you know, AOC always under scrutiny. This next one comes to us from the AP. Sonny Bilwani, the one-time second-in-command to disgrace Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes, was sentenced to nearly 13 years in prison Wednesday as the saga of the blood testing startup draws to a close. Bilwani was the company's former president. He was the COO. He was convicted earlier this year on 12 counts of wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. For her part, Holmes, the former CEO of Theranos, was sentenced to more than 11 years in prison last month after being found guilty on four counts of misleading investors about the company's technology and business. It's wild here to see the rise and fall here, Jill. Theranos, once valued at $9 billion, uh, you know, she was on the cover of all the major magazines. Now each of them will be serving at least a decade in prison. Uh, if you recall, Theranos was a healthcare company. They wanted to make things more affordable, accessible to the masses. They were producing this small device to process blood samples, uh, just a few drops of your blood to test you for all this stuff. It turned out not to work. And then uh, in some cases, and we talked about this recently, Jill, it actually gave people the wrong diagnoses. 
And Time Magazine has named Ukrainian President Zelensky and the Spirit of Ukraine as its 2022 Person of the Year. Quote, Zelensky's success as a wartime leader has relied on the fact that courage is contagious. Now, the spirit of Ukraine, that refers as well to Ukrainians, not just in the country, but also around the world, many of whom fought behind the scenes. The magazine's editor saying the decision was the most clear cut in memory. The award goes to an event or person deemed to have had the most influence on global events over the past 12 months. So it's interesting, Jill, you know, Time Magazine used to be this iconic thing. You'd, you'd look for the cover every week. And then these days, just as, you know, the, we've gone to this 24-hour news cycle, the internet, social media, et cetera, this is still the one thing that I think we all look for from Time Magazine is their person of the year. And this seems like a no-brainer for 2022. We you know we talked about the names earlier this week. But Zelensky, really remarkable in how he's been able to keep the world's attention on the cause, just the constant interviews and listening to celebrities, talking to other leaders. I mean, just tireless in terms of how he's been able to uh, fight this war and really bring the world together and united against Russia. Uh, everyone had different uh, policies uh, for Putin going into this, but uh, there's been a real unity there. Think back nine months ago when this war first started. Um, at the time, the thinking was that Ukraine was going to collapse in basically, what, three or four days that Russia would be able to basically march to Kiev. The U.S. and other Western countries had offered to take Zelensky out of the country. I mean, the thinking was that he probably would just be yeah. killed. Um, you know, he's he was in hiding. He was doing interviews from undisclosed locations. And not only that, his background, he was a comedian. He played right. the president. It's not like he had this long political history or any sort of military experience. He's somebody who's just genuinely rose to the occasion. Yeah, I, I think part of this also is just, it, to your point, how he surpassed expectations. You know, like he literally, one of the reasons he became president was that he like played a comedian who became president in a film in Ukraine, and they got elected. So everyone's like, okay, Putin's going to take out Kiev in three days. Uh, this guy's literal, a literal joker. And really, uh, you know, we sit here now in December. He's the uh, person of the year, and he's done an, an incredible job of, of uh, rallying the world here, rallying his country um, as they face literally their, uh, an existential crisis. So Time Magazine Beyond Person of the Year also has these other categories, they uh, named the women of Iran as their heroes of the year. Uh, people actually like to contrast that, Jill, with the fact that in 1980, the Ayatollah, the original Ayatollah, was the man of the year. So they've been putting those covers next to each other, 42 years apart. And it does remind folks that there was a time where Time Magazine would name man, it was called man of the year for many years. Um, and that included in previous editions, Hitler, Stalin, Khrushchev, in addition to those who've achieved, because for them, it was who had the biggest impact on the world and not just positive impact. And I think in recent years, they've tried to, you know, keep it more positive. They also named Entertainer of the Year, the K-pop band Blackpink, uh, the Athlete of the Year, American baseball player Aaron Judge, and the Icon of the Year, uh, the actress Michelle Yeoh. Back to what you're saying about the protesters in Iran being the heroes of the year. Um if you if anybody's looking for just something to watch that really explains the history of the country, you mentioned that the Ayatollah was the man of the year back in 1979. Um, there's a show on HBO. It's a documentary series called Hostages. It's about the 1979 uh, Iranian hostage crisis. 
I highly recommend it. It, it, it. I don't know. It's a little bit long, but it it really gives you a great understanding of of how we got to where we are right now. Yeah, I mean, in and the history is it doesn't even start there. I mean, this is we're probably now in our fourth Iranian Revolution in just over a hundred years. Something we actually talked about on the podcast earlier uh, this year too with Reza Aslan. Uh, and it's worth going back to that if you're interested in, in going even further back. Just a fascinating history. Uh, and really hope that, uh, you know, this revolution can, can continue into 2023. I mean, that's a remarkable thing here, Jill, and both talking about the women of Iran and Zelensky. Uh, they're both ongoing things. And uh, imagine we will continue to see headlines from both countries uh, as both try to fight for their freedom through next year. All right, Mosh, what is today's On This Day? So on this day, December 8th, 1980, 42 years ago, uh, John Lennon of the Beatles, uh, who then went on to a successful solo career, was fatally shot by an assassin, Mark David Chapman, uh, just on the Upper West Side of New York City. It led to a global outpouring of grief. Lennon was only 40 at the time. Jill, actually, I was looking at this. I was like, what would? how old would John Lennon be today? 82. Jill, just across the street from where he was shot outside the uh, famous building in Dakota, there's actually a... Um, a strawberry fields area, like a, a memory area. I imagine you've been to it in Central Park, uh, just off the Upper West Side there, where people to this day are leaving flowers behind. Look, when you mentioned that he would have been 82 years old, uh, you just have to think, a life cut so short. Think about the music you know, that he would have made. Think about what kind of causes he would have gotten behind. Right. You know, where would... He likely at 82 would have still been putting stuff out. I mean, it's it's just it's such a shame, um, you know, not to state the obvious, but you just think about with so many of these artists, by the way, who who died way too before their times. Well, I mean, look at look at his former partner, Paul McCartney, who's 80. Paul McCartney is still putting out music, right? Paul McCartney, the music he put out through the 80s and the 90s and, and even in the past 20 years. Uh, but it also to flip it for a second the amount he was able to put out and the amount of uh, accomplishments he had and the impact he had in just those first 40 years is pretty remarkable as well. All right, Mosh, that is a wrap for this podcast. We want to thank everyone for listening and please follow us and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Yeah, just just a button away on your app. It'll ensure you don't miss uh, the edition we have later today uh, on the Supreme Court and every other episode we put out. It'll be easy and goes into your effectively your podcast inbox every day. Also, if you could take a moment to review the show, we appreciate all of you who are doing so. It helps us continue to grow the show. Uh, every review matters. And uh, beyond the podcast world, don't forget to follow us over at the Mo News Instagram account at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. Otherwise, Jill, we will see everyone back here for a Friday edition tomorrow. Bye, everybody.